The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 6. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's King Lear with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. There is something so shocking about King Lear's anger. He's arrived on stage in such a good mood and invited to the flattery of his daughters and in the course of little more than a hundred lines he has exploded banished his favourite and is now roaring at one of his most trusted advisers. As we ended last time, he was calling Kent a slave and a miscreant for daring to speak out. Kent proclaimed that it was his duty to speak when Lear was acting so insanely. Be Kent unmannerly when Lear is mad. Obviously, madness is going to play a major part of the story of this play, But another nugget in Kent's point is that Lear should not be giving away his kingdom and should not be abdicating. The rage that his words have provoked in Lear has probably driven him even to physical violence, as well as the insults with which we ended last time. So now Lear is likely drawing his sword or bearing down physically on Kent, because Albany and Cornwall both say, Dear sir, forbear. Stop. The folio text reduces the names of the speakers to Alb, A-L-B, and Cor, C-O-R, leading some to speculate that it could have been Cordelia who said this. But since Albany and Cornwall are so often lumped together, it's fairly safe to assume that it's them. Perhaps it'd be nice to see Cordelia standing up for Kent, but given Lear's having banished her from his sight, it might be too dangerous for her to do so. Kent picks up the instructions to Lear. He says, Do. Kill thy physician, and the fee bestow upon thy foul disease. Revoke thy doom. Or, whilst I can vent clamour from my throat, I'll tell thee thou dost evil. It has to look like Lear is about to kill Kent, because Kent is now egging him on. He defies Lear to kill him the only person present who is telling the truth. He's calling himself Lear's physician, his doctor, and he is diagnosing Lear as mad for what he's been doing and saying. Now he's saying, yes, go ahead, kill the doctor who's trying to help you, and let the disease, his madness, win. The fee is the victory in all this struggle, but also a nod to how doctors, then as now, always know how to charge. Kent repeats himself and says, revoke thy doom. In the folio, it's even clearer, revoke thy gift. Take back the divided kingdom and remain its ruler. Reverse thy doom, revoke thy gift. Kent is convinced that Lear giving away the kingdom for a life of pleasure and retirement will have catastrophic results. And he's prepared to die saying it. He insists that while he still has breath in his lungs or can make any sound or clamour from his throat, he'll keep telling Lear he's doing wrong. Whilst I can vent clamour from my throat, I'll tell thee, thou dost evil. Lear is having none of it. He roars back at Kent. Hear me, recreant. On thine allegiance, hear me. Since thou hast sought to make us break our vow, which we durst never yet, and with strained pride, to come between our sentence and our power, 
which nor our nature nor our place can bear. Our potency made good, take thy reward. Five days we do allot thee for provision to shield thee from diseases of the world, and on the sixth to turn thy hated back upon our kingdom. If on the tenth day following thy banished trunk be found in our dominions, the moment is thy death. Away, by Jupiter, this shall not be revoked. A recreant is someone who breaks faith, an apostate, or a coward, or someone who breaks trust. All of these fit how Lear now sees Kent. But there's something very interesting about Lear calling him this, and then immediately swearing by Kent's own allegiance about what he's about to say. It's hypocritical almost. You who've broken all of this faith, on your allegiance to me, I'm swearing this. But Lear is, of course, being inconsistent because he's so angry. Lear's language here is very convoluted because he's wound up in knots with his rage. He has to get through this very long sentence, a full five lines long, to get Kent listening and to get his own thoughts in order. The syntax is all over the place and it'll take us a moment to understand which end is up. It goes something like this. Since Kent has dared to suggest that Lear undo the promise he has made to his two more obsequious daughters and their husbands, and since Lear has never broken a vow before, he says, and since Kent has been so arrogant with his strained, exaggerated pride as to speak up against Lear's proclamation and his position as king, which is of course something that Lear cannot tolerate, either personally or as the king on the throne, the proclamation will stand and the following will be Kent's punishment. Lear calls it his reward, but we know it won't be good. All of the above in Shakespeare sounds like this. Since thou hast sought to make us break our vow, which we durst never yet, and with strained pride, to come between our sentence and our power, which nor our nature nor our place can bear, our potency made good, take thy reward. I have to confess that, having extended it to try to make it clearer, I all but doubled the length of those five lines. Shakespeare is rather better at packing an awful lot into a sentence. And now comes Kent's sentence. Lear gives Kent five days to pack up and arrange whatever he might need because he's being banished. On the sixth day, Kent must leave the kingdom. If he's still here after ten days, and he's found anywhere in the realm, he will be executed immediately. Five days we do allot thee for provision to shield thee from diseases of the world, and on the sixth to turn thy hated back upon our kingdom. If on the tenth day following thy banished trunk be found in our dominions, the moment is thy death. This speech is actually an even longer sentence than the last, but because Lear's mind is now focused on Kent's punishment, the point is rather clearer. And even though he's giving Kent this little bit of leeway to arrange his life before he departs, he still kicks him out of the room immediately. You'll remember that Kent swore by Apollo when he was trying to get through to Lear. Lear goes one higher and swears by Jupiter, king of the gods, and also echoes Kent's own valiant word, spitting it back in his face. 
away by Jupiter. This shall not be revoked. Kent cannot argue with this. It's been too absolute. But he does give an attempt at a farewell. Fare thee well, king, sith thus thou wilt appear. Freedom lives hence, and banishment is here. The gods to their dear shelter take thee, maid, that justly thinkst and has most rightly said. And your large speeches may your deeds approve, that good effects may spring from words of love. Thus Kent, O oh, princes, bids you all adieu. He'll shape his old course in a country new. The speech is in rhyming couplets, a sure sign of finality, but also it's a slightly calmer, quieter register after Lear's angry, angry madness. He addresses Lear first, and it's no accident that he calls him king, even though the sovereignty has all but passed already to his daughters and their husbands. The word Sith appears in one text and since in the other. They both mean the same thing. Kent is still calling Lear king because he's still got the crown on his head. For now, that's how he appears. Kent brings an image of inversion now, saying that freedom has left this place and banishment has replaced it. And this, these kinds of huge inversions will be with us throughout the play. In some texts, you might even see friendship is hence and banishment is here. I don't know how reliable this is, but it's certainly a heartbreaking line and a good farewell to Lear from Kent, his valiant, sometime friend. Now Kent turns to Cordelia. He hopes that the gods will take her into their protection, since she's lost the love of her father. He also says aloud that she is right, and was right to say what she said. The gods to their dear shelter take thee, maid, that justly thinks and has most rightly said. And next, in this liminal moment at court where power is in the process of being transferred, Kent wisely turns to the incoming rulers, Regan and Goneril. To them, he says, he hopes their loving words will be matched by their actions, so that these charming speeches will actually lead to long-term good. And your large speeches may your deeds approve that good effects may spring from words of love. He knows these girls well, and probably doesn't even believe this himself. But now he addresses the whole room to say goodbye. He bids them all adieu, and will set off to seek a new life in another land. Thus Kent, O princes, bids you all adieu. He'll shape his old course in a country new. The play's been going for barely a few minutes, and already we've fallen for this noble, truth-telling man. It seems a shame to be losing him, but rest assured, he isn't going far. In the meantime, the court business will have to continue even in Kent's surprise absence. We've a whole new episode about to happen, and three characters about to enter into this royal mess. But we'll save that for next week. Thank you, as ever, for listening. It's a pleasure to have your company in ever-growing numbers every week. I think you like King Lear as much as I do. I hope you're enjoying this extraordinary play so far, and I look forward to speaking to you again next time.